0: For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins.
1: Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said,
0: Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown, they
1: probably put my name in the newspaper. People probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat?
0: Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards Ceremony at amplify.com slash star awards celebrations. That's amplify.com slash star awards
1: celebration. All one word. I was working on a plumbing project this weekend.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) And I was reading the directions and I was so unmotivated. I was so frustrated. I was so confused. And I I had this moment of thinking, what if it were like this every time I picked up a text? You know, I think that what knowledge does is it allows readers to build this kind of momentum.
0: This is Susan Lambert, and welcome to Science of Reading, the podcast from Amplify, where the science of reading lives. We're now on episode three of our new season, all about knowledge and its critical role in literacy development. Last time, we went deep into the research on read-alouds, exploring how they can be used most effectively to support students. This time, I'm thrilled to be talking with Dr. Gina Servetti. Professor of Education at the University of Michigan. Dr. Cervetti was one of the first guests we wanted for a season about knowledge, as she has done seminal work and research on integrating science and literacy instruction. On this episode, we talk all about that, but we also delve into a bunch of other critical topics like taking a conceptually coherent approach to knowledge building, building substantial and durable vocabulary knowledge thinking about knowledge building beyond disciplinary knowledge, and bringing students' cultural knowledge into the classroom. Seriously, we covered a lot of great stuff. I think you'll learn a lot from this conversation with Dr. Gina Cervetti. Dr. Cervetti, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, before we jump in and get started, I would love if you would introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself and particularly how you got into the world of literacy.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Well, I am Gina Cervetti. I am a professor of education at the University of Michigan where I teach classes on literacy for future teachers and also future educational researchers and future curriculum designers. And in terms of how I got into literacy, you know, in the 1990s, I was working in Washington, DC as a researcher, a research assistant. Mm -hmm. And I was working on a variety of different programs related to education. Uh, So one of the programs I was working on was a program to provide educational opportunities and professional opportunities for migrant and seasonal farm workers and their families. And it was heavily focused on developing English literacy skills for the adults and early literacy skills for their children. And um, I really loved that work. There were other projects as well, but I really loved that work. And I had become really excited about the power of research to help us understand and address complex educational issues. Yeah. And I had really sort of reached the limit of what I could do in that role without stronger research skills. Mm. And, and at the same time, I was volunteering as a literacy tutor for adult women who had not developed conventional literacy skills. And many of these women were formerly incarcerated. And they were adults who could typically read some words, but they had Mm -hmm. difficulty reading larger stretches of text, and they had great difficulty understanding what they read. And I really saw how this shaped their life opportunities. It Mm -hmm. shaped their access to education, it shaped their access to work. They talked about not being able to read with their children. They talked about having difficulty navigating the transportation system in Washington DC, difficulty moving around in the world as someone who didn't have conventional literacy skills. And for me, that really crystallized that above all other things in education, that literacy is a gateway to so many of the things that are essential for human flourishing and human choice. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to develop my research skills, and I really had developed a passion for reading, and I wanted to ensure that no one ever reached adulthood without having the literacy skills that they needed to flourish and to make choices about the trajectories of their lives. And so I went back to graduate school and I was really lucky. I had the opportunity to go to michigan state university i'm now at university of michigan but i was down the road um go green i mean i'm a party too (laughs) i know i feel like i have a little bit of both in me but for some reason michigan keeps calling me back even though i'm actually from california so but i was really lucky because um p david pearson was there at the time and getting to work with him was one of the great great good fortunes of my life and also i landed it just so happened that at the time Michigan State and University of Michigan and several other institutions had Sierra, which was the Center for the Improvement of Early Reading Achievement. Okay. Yeah. So it was a really great place. And I got really lucky because my main job as a graduate student was to drive around (laughs) first (laughs) the state of Michigan and then later Northern California and visit summer reading programs and watch what, what was happening in literacy instruction in those programs and to visit Conventional classrooms at the elementary level, and document what was happening around literacy, and it, we were really trying to understand, you know, what are the kinds of instruction and instructional interventions that make enduring gains for children's mm. literacy development. Mm-hmm. So uh, this just solidified my interest in early literacy development, and it really, you know, launched me more deeply on this path.
0: That's interesting. So you were directly observing this translation of or potential translation of research to practice so sitting in a really interesting space
1: yeah Yeah, every day and driving all over the place and seeing so many different (laughs) classrooms at different grade levels and really trying to understand, you know, what were the active ingredients here Mm -hmm. that were making a difference for kids. And we were using very detailed observational tools and documenting every aspect of what was going on and then trying to see how that was associated with kids' growth over the course of a school year or growth after having attended a summer reading program you know did they make gains and then did they continue to make gains so we were trying to really understand that Hmm. was a piece of that i'm just super curious about
0: this what was
1: a piece of that your actual dissertation then Actually, no. (laughs) No, So I, I, (laughs) yeah, I actually became much more interested in other aspects of literacy and, and content area literacy also, which leads into the next phase of my life. Yeah. Okay. We're going to unpack that a little bit, but I know that you also
0: spent time at the Lawrence Mm -hmm. Hall of Science um, and did some work there, which I I would love for you to just explain a little bit about what Lawrence Hall of Science is for our listeners that don't understand or don't know, um, and then the work that you did there.
1: Yeah. So um, the Lawrence Hall of Science is a really special place. It is situated on the campus of UC Berkeley, and it it has many functions, but it, it is a children's science museum on the top floors. And then down on the bottom floors, there's a whole host of research and curriculum design work going on. They're running school programs and summer programs, many amazing amazing programs happen up there. And I was lucky enough to have an opportunity. So P. David Pearson was at Michigan State, but he moved to UC Berkeley to mm-hmm. serve as the dean there. And I was writing my dissertation. So I went along and started <laughs> working. <laughs> yeah, And um, I, I, so I started to work on a project up at the Lawrence Hall of Science called Seeds of Science, Roots of Reading. So that a group of really extraordinary science educators up at Lawrence Hall of Science had just been awarded a National Science Foundation grant to Mm -hmm. take all of the longstanding work they had done in inquiry-based science and infuse it with literacy. And so these were dedicated science folks who actually had some skepticism of literacy and what literacy often meant for the existence of science instruction in schools. Mm. So they brought on a team of educators, literacy educators, including myself and P. David Pearson and uh, wonderful people like Marco Bravo and Freddie Hebert. And we were there to help them think about how to integrate literacy into science in ways that would support students involvement in scientific inquiry rather than replace scientific inquiry with reading, Mm -hmm. but would also support students' informational reading and writing and talk. And so we worked on a, sci- a model of science literacy integration. And then we developed a series of units and we implemented those units in classrooms and we studied what happened. And at the time, the work was in grade, we were in grades two through five. And that has since expanded much beyond mm-hmm. that. But that was the initial kernel where those two through five grades.
0: Yeah, we did an episode. Oh, I think it was our very first season with Jackie Barber before she retired um, and just talked with her about how. I can't remember how she frames it, but she says something about how she was a science educator in search of literacy and um, P. David Pearson was a literacy educator in search of content. And so the two sort of came together to form the seeds of science roots of reading. Is that similar to what you remember?
1: I think that's exactly right. Jackie is amazing. And uh, the whole team up there were amazing. And they, they were rightfully skeptical of reading and its role in science. Um, But they were looking for a way to see more science taught in schools. And I think Jackie, you know, being wise, you know, also thought, you know, maybe there are ways to do this that can honor both domains Mm -hmm. and support both domains. Yeah, And, you know, the, the context of science it really offered me a lot of opportunities to think about and explore some of the issues that I had been working on as, I, or and thinking about as I had been working on the projects on Sierra mm. in coming to understand what was really important for kids' literacy development. Mm.
0: What were some of those things you were thinking about when you were with Sierra? And I'm not familiar with Sierra, actually.
1: They, I'm assuming they're still not around or... No, but there are legacy archives online of really amazing studies and classroom materials and so forth that you can look for. Oh, that's great. It was a really uh, beautiful center. Um, mm. But, you know, but for example, like one of the things that I had come to understand from visiting all these classrooms and trying to associate what I was observing with students' literacy was that children really needed to be engaged in higher order thinking and activity like talk about the things that they were reading but often the things that they were reading didn't actually offer a lot of grist a lot of material for that kind of kind of higher level talking and thinking mm-hmm. and then also often they were talking about and reading about new things every day which again doesn't really provide a lot of material for you know having really big thoughts about phenomena or you know engaging in really rich discussions and writing and then also at the time you know in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was a lot of recognition growing that kids were not doing enough informational reading and writing in schools. They needed to be, but they were reading a lot of stories and that we were thinking about ways to increase the amount of time that students were spending with informational texts. So science, it seemed to me that content area learning and science specifically was an opportunity to support these different priorities, right? How to get Mm, kids
0: engaged. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and that sort of that disciplinary work is a lot about knowledge building and vocabulary. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that knowledge building and vocabulary?
1: So... We know a lot actually about the role of knowledge building and vocabulary associated. Voc- I like to think about them actually as two sides of the same coin. So I like to think yeah. of you know, words as the labels that we use to think and talk about ideas. But you know, most of the knowledge building literacy instruction that has been studied formally has been through some sort of integration with literacy and content area learning, mm-hmm. and mostly science, but also sometimes social studies. And there have been a lot of examples of these kinds of programs. Um, so my own work on Seeds of Science, Roots of Reading, where we actually found quite powerful effects for this integrated approach on both literacy outcomes, but also science outcomes, but many others as well. So for example, there's the concept-oriented reading instruction, which is you know from John Guthrie and colleagues, where they found that when you had content goals and also experiences. Students were actually engaging with phenomena that was the context for reading instruction. It had positive impacts on students' reading comprehension and their reading motivation, among other things. And then there was the Science Ideas program, which was Nancy Romance mm-hmm. and Michael Vitali, And they found that integrating literacy into science actually had impacts on state standardized assessments of reading and wow. science. There are many others. There's the Moore program, which is um, James Kim and colleagues. And there's the CALI program from Carol Connor and colleagues. And if you look at all of these programs, what's, what's really interesting is that many of them have shown, have often shown positive impacts on not just the things that were directly taught, in these programs, right? So the, you know, the content, the particular concepts that students were learning or or even students reading of texts that are on related topics. But they were also seeing effects on like standardized general measures of kids reading comprehension. And, hmm. you know, it's, it's understandable that kids would learn the things that you teach in the context of the intervention or that they would, do better when reading about texts that, where you've taught them some concepts around those texts. But why would knowledge have an impact on comprehension in general? It's a really compelling question. And I think the way that I've come to think about this is, um, I'm gonna borrow a phrase from David Pearson. I think he lets me borrow his phrases sometimes, (laughs) um, which is he calls this a a virtuous cycle of learning. Mm. And as opposed to a vicious cycle, a virtuous cycle. (laughs) And the idea here is that, you know, knowledge building, right? It makes reading more accessible because when you know something about the topic of a text, you understand that text better pretty much all the time, right? And then it makes it more meaningful. And then when reading is more accessible and more meaningful, students read more and they also learn more about the world. They acquire more knowledge and they also get higher quality practice with reading. And then that leads to more meaningful reading and the cycle starts mm-hmm. all over again. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot of sort of technical things to say, but just, you know, I know that when I'm reading things that aren't very meaningful and don't make sense to me, I don't really like it. I don't really like to struggle when I'm reading. You know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a household DIYer. I'm always fixing things around my house. <laughs> wow, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I know, this is this is how I spend my free time anyway. And i was um, I was working on a plumbing project this weekend.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: yeah and i was reading the directions and i was so unmotivated i was so frustrated i was so confused and i I had this moment of thinking what if it were like this every time i picked up a text yeah you know i wouldn't be very motivated to read i would avoid it at all costs Mm -hmm. but imagine i actually really knew something about what I was doing and I wasn't a first timer and and all of this terminology made sense to me or I had some understanding about plumbing systems. Imagine how much more accessible, pleasurable, satisfying it would be to be engaging with this challenging text. And so, you know, I think that what knowledge does is it allows readers to build this kind of momentum, right? It makes reading easier. It makes comprehension easier. So it has all of this sort of virtuous cycle effect, but I think it also, it frees up some attention, right? So you're not so Mm -hmm. focused on the text, you can actually notice other things. You know, I did a study a few years ago where we looked at whether if kids built knowledge of some concepts through reading, did they also learn more words incidentally while they were reading? Mm -hmm. And the answer was that they did. Mm. You know did they learn more knowledge from reading? Yes, of course they did did they did they then you know have better comprehension of the text that they were reading? Yes, they all of those things. Mm. So um, having knowledge as a platform for reading and learning seems to really enable lots of other really positive things to happen in the course mm. of reading.
0: Mm. That's very nicely put and before I ask you the very next question I'm interested in, I'm really interested to know how the plumbing project went if you were. <laughs>
1: So um, ultimately, it went just fine. Um, But there was but there was significant frustration and several trips to the hardware store, if I'm being honest. Oh,
0: well, congratulations. And it's pretty impressive that you take on a plumbing project with limited background knowledge. So I'm going to give you that. That's pretty cool. (laughs) <laughs> so, you yeah. talked a little bit about, mm. you know, when kids read things and, you know, sometimes they read it one day and they move on to something else. You yeah. know, that the concept of coherency or yeah. day after day learning is really important, isn't it? Can you talk a little bit mm. about what that means, both for instruction, but also for student learning?
1: Yeah. Well, so coherence in particular, conceptual coherence is a term that, Tanya Wright and I developed to describe sort of how we were thinking about knowledge building in terms of some research that we were engaged in, including the study I just talked about, trying to figure out if kids learn words more easily. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And so you know often what we see in schools, when there is any kind of focus to the reading that kids are doing in English language arts instruction, you know, it's often a fairly broad or loose focus. So it might be, you know, a topic or theme like water or maybe plants and animals. You know, while I think that this is useful and and I think it undoubtedly offers some benefits for students to be reading, even around fairly broad themes or topics, um, you know, I think it probably helps them encounter vocabulary words repeatedly. It probably helps them make connections between the texts that they're reading. So it's it's a mm-hmm. good thing. But as we actually looked at some of the programs of research that I was talking about earlier, the programs that focused on knowledge development, that had impacts on students' reading comprehension, they weren't just using broad themes or broad topics where Mm -hmm. there was some kind of connection, but not a very close connection. Instead, they were using question or phenomenon-driven conceptual learning with reading, right, and around reading, but it was a much sort of tighter connection among the ideas. And then when we looked to also to theoretical models of reading comprehension this also pointed us to these benefits of having these more tightly woven together ideas you know this idea that when you have well elaborated understandings about something that that might provide some special benefits in terms of reading
0: Hmm. so if we were talking to a teacher and you were thinking about explaining this You know that he or she was looking and saying well am i doing broad themes or am i doing this tight conceptual coherence like you're talking about what kind of examples would help us understand that tight conceptual coherence
1: well so the way that we think about it and the way that we've done it across several studies now is to think about sort of what is the phenomenon or the question that I'm trying to understand, or even the topic as a starting point that I'm trying to understand. So for example, we've we've done studies where birds was the thing that kids were learning Mm -hmm. about or where the ocean was the thing that they were learning about. But then we wanted to think about what are some important and substantial and interconnected ideas. So what are the ideas that would appear on a concept map about that thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so it would be things like for the ocean, for example. You know we might think about although we often talk about different oceans and seas these are connected they're actually connected so that many scientists think of the earth as having just one ocean mm. you know and that becomes really helpful for understanding life in the ocean understanding currents in the ocean you know and then Once we have this kind of concept map of these ideas that we think are really important for understanding this phenomenon, then we think about how can we create sets of texts or cultivate, often, we're just curating them from existing texts, you know, sets of texts where students are both encountering those ideas repeatedly, but also seeing lots of examples Mm. of those ideas, or seeing, you know, lots of elaborations of those ideas. So, so thinking about what might appear on a concept map, I think, is a really concrete way of thinking about what would be a more conceptually coherent approach to thinking about knowledge building.
0: That's really helpful. And then along with that, I would assume that on this concept map, there's some sort of associated vocabulary that goes with it, right? So your idea of two sides of the same coin, it's sort of key concepts or whatever, but also key vocabulary that helps kids engage in this content.
1: Is that right? That is absolutely right. So I like to think about vocabulary not as individual words, right? But as a set of kind of labels for ideas that we want kids to be able to read about and talk about and write about. And what's so lovely about, you know, thinking about conceptual coherence is that very often um you don't have to, the vocabulary naturally reappear in the text that kids encounter, yeah. you know, and they begin to use those words because, you know, in any discussion about those concepts, those words are going to be useful. And so, you know, there's some degree of direct instruction of the vocabulary, but for the most part, the vocabulary are sort of like they take a free ride on the concepts that kids are learning and engaging with. (laughs) Yeah, I like
0: how you explain that. I usually say to teachers or educators that you know when you think about background knowledge and vocabulary like you do, I don't often say two sides of the same coin, but they're often very related or not even often, they are related. And you actually can't know something about the content without having the associated vocabulary. They just go hand in hand together.
1: Well, I think in in the best of worlds, that is definitely the case. You know, I think, you know, when we got up to the Lawrence Hall of Science at the very beginning of that program, there was a sense that among the science educators there that the vocabulary could be uh, alienating to the kids, you know, that using the real scientific language could be challenging and alienating to the Mm -hmm. kids. And I think what we came to see by introducing, you know, different kinds of literacy, both activities and texts alongside the the first-hand investigations is that kids actually relish the language. They actually love yeah. using the language. You know that they get such joy over being able to have command over these big scientific words.
0: That's great. That's a great. And it's true. Right. When we we think about teaching kids topics or vocabulary words, they like to feel like they're talking about something important. Yeah,
1: they like to be knowers. It's really fun. Yeah, that's a good way to say it.
0: So. So you are sort of not in the world that, hey, there's a list of vocabulary words all kids should know and we should be explicitly teaching them.
1: Right. So. um, honestly, I wish there was such a list. (laughs) (laughs) It'd make things easier, wouldn't it? (laughs) It certainly would make things easier, right? Because we know that vocabulary knowledge is extremely important. Knowledge of word meanings is extremely important. It's important not only for reading comprehension, but really for academic success in general. And we've known this for a really long time. And so you know, I think it's it's not surprising that we have thought, well, if we could just find the right set of words, you know, if, if vocabulary knowledge is so important, let's just teach a lot of words, right? Yes. And even better yet, let's teach a lot of words that happen to appear often in school texts, right? And this will help students be successful. And, you know, I think it would be really wonderful if that were workable, but there are many reasons that it's that it's not workable. You know, they're just so many words <laughs> that kids need to know. Yeah. We can probably teach a few hundred words a year realistically, but they need to know tens of thousands of words in order to you know, really understand the lexicon of, of school, right? And the level of investment that's required for the kind of rich vocabulary instruction that makes it possible not only for kids to recognize the definition of a word on an assessment, but actually use that word in their own talk and writing is so high. And then even when we do that kind of work, retention is actually not that great. So Mm -hmm. it's really hard to teach individual words in ways where that learning is durable. And I think you can imagine why, right? Because it's not connected to something. Like if we think about, about the mind as having webs of understanding and those webs as being able to catch new words or new ideas, in the absence of that, it's just a, it's a piece of information without a home, you know? And so it just doesn't work all that well, I think, to think about vocabulary in that way. And I think a much better way to think about it is in terms of what are the things that kids are learning about and what are the words that they need to read, write, and talk about those things. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. It takes me back to my days prepping for college entrance exams and knowing that (laughs) My vocabulary was not as great as my brother's vocabulary who scored very high. So I spent a whole bunch of time trying to memorize words. It didn't help me at all.
1: (laughs) Well, and I'll tell you, if I showed you those words today, you would swear that you had never laid eyes on them before. (laughs) This is probably true.
0: But yet often that's how we think about teaching kids vocabulary, isn't it? It's just, here's your vocabulary words for the week. And even
1: at that, you're saying that it's just not the most efficient way to do that. Um, I so I don't think the evidence bears out that that is a way to build substantial and durable vocabulary knowledge even though I really understand why that approach is appealing. Uh, and yeah. I think you know thinking about what are they Things that kids are learning about, and what are the words they need? And then also, really thinking about how can I help kids become problem solvers, you know, word wizards, you know, interested in words and excited to figure out the new words that they encounter. I think those are probably, in the end, um, approaches that are more worthy of the the instructional time. Mm -hmm, That makes sense. Well, I do know that
0: um, you mentioned that your thinking around knowledge is really evolving beyond just disciplinary knowledge building. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about about that and how you're extending those thoughts about knowledge building
1: yeah, well, I've been thinking um so you know there are so many reasons to think about the knowledge and experiences that kids bring to school as a resource for their literacy learning. And um, there are many reasons to do that. So first, you know, it, I think it's really important to say that that there's nothing special about academic or disciplinary knowledge other than it's the stuff of school, right? Yeah. But in terms of its impact on comprehension, it is not unique. And in fact, many of the early studies that helped us to understand the relationship between knowledge and comprehension weren't conducted using academic knowledge. They were actually using um, what I think of as like out of school experiential knowledge. So a lot of those studies were on things like Mm. sports, like soccer or baseball knowledge and how that impacted kids' understanding of texts that they were reading. So it wasn't really academic knowledge at all. And in recent years, there've been several studies that unsurprisingly have also shown us that when students read culturally familiar texts, they have better recall and comprehension than when they're reading culturally unfamiliar texts. So this shouldn't be surprising. So in terms of understanding a particular text, you know, academic knowledge is not special. So we should think about all of the knowledge ex- and experiences that students bring to school. But also there's some evidence that cultural knowledge is a significant resource not just for understanding a particular text but also for kids literacy learning so young children it seems the research is early but it seems tend to learn new literacy skills better when instruction uses texts that are connected to their knowledge and experiences so for example there was a study done by Clark in 2017, where they were doing an afterschool program for African-American children in grades one through five. And the instruction that the students received was like reading texts and retelling texts and doing some word study and writing in response to texts. But the texts that they were using were either entirely culturally relevant texts or entirely non-culturally relevant texts. And the children actually who used the culturally relevant text made greater growth than their peers on their word reading and mm. on their reading comprehension. Mm. So having a connection to the text that we read, having a platform of understanding based on our knowledge and experience turns out to be beneficial, not just for comprehension of a particular text, but also as a basis for literacy instruction.
0: Mm. So that's a little bit of the, and I'm going to distill this to something very simple, but that's a little bit of the mirrors and the windows conversation we've been having, right? Yeah. So this idea that when you can yeah. see yourself or connect to the experiences you bring to a text, it it's great for your comprehension. How does that tension come into play when we're saying, oh, we we also need to learn new things because academic knowledge is important for later academic careers, you -hmm. know, for us later in schooling and opens up our worlds to things we would have never maybe known about had people not introduced them. So how do these
1: two things sort of interact? I mean, both have to be true, right? Because yeah. knowledge is, what I'm learning is that knowledge is so complex that it actually offers a number of different benefits and different kinds of knowledge actually benefit literacy development in different ways. And so, you know, it, it makes sense to think about helping students develop You know, the academic knowledge that's going to help them understand the natural world and the social world better. But it also makes sense to capitalize on the knowledge that students bring both as a platform for their literacy learning, but also to further develop it so that they're also understanding the context of their lives and their communities and their families. This is a this is an important academic issue. It's also an important equity issue.
0: Yeah, I love, I love how you said that. Um, You know, we talk a lot about this in biliterate education, right, as honoring the home language. And so this maybe is an extension even further than just honoring the home language. It's, it's, it's honoring the home experiences because we know
1: that's all part of what we bring to the language comprehension process. Well, and it also helps students feel more connected to reading, more connected to their classrooms, you know, to cultivate feelings of belonging. There are so many ingredients to, you know, a a successful learning experience for students.
0: How... How can educators think about this in terms of what they're doing day to day in in the classroom to sort of bring more of this cultural knowledge and the cultural knowledge the kids come to school with to bring that more into the classroom?
1: You know, I think that increasingly there are a wide array of literacy resources, you know, texts and so forth, so that once we get to know our children, we understand them and their lives. And their experiences and also their interests, that we can, uh, you know, we have better access, I think, than we have in the past to resources that that are gonna connect with each of our individual learners. You know, I think we can also, uh, you know, use students' experiences as part of what we seek to understand better so that we're not only learning about our own experiences, but that we're drawing on the resources of the classroom to understand each other.
0: Mm, yeah. Community building is so important yeah. and feeling like you are seen and heard and, and part of the experience in school is really great. It, it takes me back to what you said at the beginning of the podcast, your early experiences in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, with that wide range of, of people that you worked with. Does that feel like a little bit of a through line in your
1: work? Um, yes. I mean, I was working with people for whom school hadn't worked. Right. And for whatever reason, and I wish I could go back now and talk to them a little bit more with some of the you know, the things that I've learned in the intervening decades. Um, but our commitment to making sure that no one reaches adulthood without having the literacy skills that they need to flourish mm-hmm. has to be more than just equipping them with academic knowledge
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. or even literacy skills. That makes a lot of sense. So
0: you are just finishing up a study, I think on knowledge building as well. Um, yeah. would you
1: like to talk a little bit about what that study is and what you found? Yeah um, well we're we're just in the process of finishing up the paper. So my colleague Tanya Wright and I um, have been working on trying to better understand how knowledge works in reading comprehension and language development and literacy development so that we're trying to think about other potential benefits. So not just how does knowing something more about a text help you to understand that text better, but do other potential benefits accrue. So we did a study where we looked, for example, at the incidental learning of vocabulary words, if students Mm -hmm. were bringing knowledge. So in this study, we worked with fourth graders. And we, the fourth graders either read a set of conceptually coherent texts about the ocean, or they read a wide variety of informational texts about a whole bunch of different topics. Mm. And afterwards we did, They did some activities while they were reading, obviously, but then afterwards, we did think alouds with them. So we had them read additional texts about ocean-related concepts to see whether having had the experience of building knowledge through reading impacted the ways that they were making sense of the new text. So we were actually trying to capture their processing because we know that higher level processing while reading, so doing things like making inferences or monitoring understanding, or making predictions, that that's a hallmark of strong reading comprehension. It's really mm-hmm. important that kids have opportunities to process texts in those ways. And we were wondering if reading in a conceptually coherent way would actually facilitate their engagement in that kind of processing. And so it looks like it did. So the students not only had better recall of the new text that they read about the ocean than students who had read about a whole bunch of different things, but they also were engaging in more of these higher level processes while they were reading. That's interesting. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That, and so that study
0: just finished up and you're you're publishing? Yeah. Is that what, you're, Ho- what you are Soon,
1: hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully,
0: yeah. And you've been doing this work for quite a while, just on this idea of conceptual coherence. So yes. it's it's kind of fun to, to hear how it's continuing on. Yes. Any, any other thoughts you'd like to leave listeners as you think about knowledge development, either cultural knowledge
1: development or academic knowledge development? Um, you know, I think if I were, I guess to talk with teachers, you know, I would say Mm -hmm. that there are a couple of really important takeaways, you know, really thinking about English language arts, not as a place where we only develop students skills, literacy skills, right, but also Mm -hmm. where they're learning about something really important. And not only that, but to think about Phenomenon driven or question driven concepts, you know, how do animals adaptations help them survive in their habitats? You know, and even around literature, thinking about, you know, what is the stuff of literature? What are the concepts that are embedded in literature? So what does it mean to be a good friend? You know, and what, how could we read in a conceptually coherent way around, around an idea like that? So that again, Students are getting the benefit of developing knowledge and vocabulary and then bringing that to their subsequent reading. And then also, I would say, protect time for content area instruction. Mm. Really protect it. It's really hard to fit in science and social studies and arts and so on right now. But think about that as another opportunity to develop kids' literacy skills and don't let it slip out of the school day.
0: Thank you for that. And it dawned on me that we've been talking about reading comprehension, but this very much relates to writing composition as well, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it does. You can't write very well about something that you don't know much about, you know, <laughs> or talk very thoughtfully about things that you don't know much about. You know, Knowledge becomes the grist for engaging in sophisticated versions of all the things that we care about kids learning to do in literacy.
0: What a great way to end. And thank you so much again for joining us on this episode. It's near and dear to my heart, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much.
1: I really appreciate your time and attention to this.
0: Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Dr. Gina Cervetti, Professor of Education at the University of Michigan. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to more resources. Science of Reading the podcast is brought to you by Amplify. For more information on how Amplify leverages the science of reading, go to Amplify.com slash C-K-L-A. If you liked hearing Dr. Servetti talk about vocabulary, then I've got some great news. Coming up soon this season, we'll spend more time diving into the research on vocabulary building. But first, next time on the show, education luminary John Hattie joins us to talk about the importance of studying expertise.
1: And so if anybody out there is listening or wants to start a career, let me tell you right up front, study excellence, study expertise. There's oodles of it out there. And we aren't very good at that. We're very, very good at finding
0: problems and fixing them. But we're not as good and we're not have the
1: courage to study expertise and scale it up. And that's my mission, scale up the expertise we have.
0: That's next time. And throughout this season, as we explore the importance of knowledge building, we want to hear from students about their favorite classroom topics. If you know a young person who'd like to share their perspective with us, we'd love to have them send us a voice memo. Find out more and submit a short audio message at amplify.com slash student dash testimonials. Finally, before we go, we want to tell you about a new podcast series that we think you might like. It's from our friends at Literacy Leadership, the Learning Ally podcast, who've been releasing a new mini-series featuring changemakers. Here's a little preview. So I do think that we have to move to have a informed conversation and it's not going to be as easy for us scientists to just hide in our labs and be siloed. I think the work to be done by research scientists moving forward is the work that we see from so many of us now. Catch the full miniseries featuring co-hosts Dr. Terry Noland, Linda Diamond, Dr. Tim Odegaard, and Dr. Tracy white by searching for Literacy Leadership, The Learning Ally Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this show, Science of Reading the Podcast. Thank you again for listening.